0: I'm a procrastinator. It's how one of my oldest friends and I first bonded. We had a semester long project that we literally finished as the bell rung for class. When we retell the tale more than 15 years later, the climax of the story is when our teacher pulls us aside gently to tell us we only got the second highest score, beaten out by our close friends who actually planned and put in effort. Every time we get to that part, I feel giddy. I get a rush like I've gotten away with crime. I'd loudly pronounce my dedication to no longer procrastinate, but it's no wonder it kept going and going and going. Welcome to Self-Help Junkie, the podcast where we explore the world of personal development through the eyes of book enthusiasts. I'm your host, Erica Ng, communication coach and your resident bookworm. This season, we'll be focused on developing our romantic skills, but before we dive into the conversation with our guests, let's get a one minute summary of the book. If you've read a self-help book, you've read them all believe in yourself. Just do it. Not this one. You can't change your behavior because you actually like it. You dirty, dirty whore, or at least that's what Carolyn Elliott asserts. Existential kink guides you to explore your unconscious reasoning for what others may attribute to bad luck or external circumstances. Maybe you lost your three jobs because you actually like being taken care of by your parents. You take things personally because you like feeling like the main character. It doesn't stop in learning about our shadow selves. She leads us through how we can make turn on of turn offs and how to accept all parts of ourselves. Whether you end up being released from the kink and break the behavior or understand it more and take pleasure in your bad patterns, you'll be living a more aligned life. And with that, let's dive in today. We have on Mariana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you uh, before we dive into this very eccentric book <laughs> um, I'd like to get to know you a little bit more so you are the co-founder of Otter beings can you tell us a little bit more about this card deck
1: right so yeah actually the founder of other being and the co-founder of the new deck we're coming up with mm. uh, it's more on that later. So, um, for me throughout my life, I've always felt kind of like the odd one out. And I didn't really have role models into how to structure my life in a way that worked for me. So everybody would do kind of the, you know, what you're expected to do society, like from to college, then you get a job and you get a boyfriend and you go and you, you live together and you get married and you have kids and all of that. Uh, And then the career progresses and, and, I think I was like 27 or something when I realized that it didn't really make me happy. Mm. I was like, okay, I want something different, but it was really hard to find out. Uh, okay, so what would different look like? And eventually I got a lot more alternative friends. So I was like, oh, okay, so if you don't want the corporate life, this is what you're supposed to do. So I tried to do right. more what they yeah. were doing, but that also didn't make me happy. <laughs> it wasn't really me. Um So eventually I realized I had to come up with my own kind of vision on uh, what I wanted life to look like. And um, that's how I started Other Being, because I wanted a brand that would inspire others as well. And with Other Being, um, I create card decks uh, with questions prompts that uh, stimulate people to think about what their ideal life looks like to them. So it might be questions about uh, what do you see as your ideal health or relationships, Because, you know, like, if you ask people, what do you want from a relationship, everybody's going to say, I want respect, I want love, I want, you know, but then you dive deeper and you're like, okay, what does love look like to you? Right. You'll get so many different authors.
0: Yeah, that's something that I feel like I also went through, um, but it was more for the career. I remember reading mm-hmm. a book called what Color Is Your Parachute? And that asked really good specific questions that helped me map out what that would look like. And it's changed. Um, but you don't really get that so much with romantic relationships or life. You, you just like very broad strokes. No one really talks about it.
1: Yeah, and people oftentimes get coaching, but then for others, coaching is a bit like a step too far, mm-hmm. or for whatever reason, it might be too expensive, or they for might sure. struggle with it. So I, I feel like the cards are the kind of questions coaches would ask you. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of questions I ask my coaching clients. Um, so, so I have a number of card decks, and the one that I'm actually kind of co-founding right now is. Mm-hmm. Right, so the the second English deck that I'm co-founding is on polyamorous relationships. I've been polyamorous myself for the last six years or so. Um, And I'm noticing that when it comes to polyamory, it's also like there's a lot of help online, but people don't often have people surrounding them that they can kind of use as models of what their relationship looks like. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is they often end up using monogamous relationships Mm -hmm. as a model, but since it's really not the same thing, it can cause all sorts of conflicts. Um, so this is going to, and this is also going to be a bit more of a conversation deck where people can also do it together with their partner or partners or their partner's partners. Uh,
0: right. Yeah, I, I'm imagining that there's, Some trickiness to it, but even monogamous relationships might benefit from having clear boundaries and like having clear ideas of what you're looking for.
1: For sure. And also like sexuality, for instance, Mm -hmm. what do you enjoy? What don't you enjoy? You know, for some, like, for instance, I have two friends and for him, uh, having sex once every few weeks is perfectly fine. And it doesn't mean for him that there's anything wrong with the relationship. But then his girlfriend, for her physical touch, is part of her Mm -hmm. love language. So for her, she's like, I can go twice a day discussing what that would look like and how you can make it work for both of you is also very important in monogamous relationships, for sure. Existential king. How did you... Oh, you have it with you. Nice. Uh-huh.
0: So how did you come across this book?
1: You know, that's a really good question, and I can't really remember, but I think either it was recommended by a friend or we used to do this kind of book club online mm. during, COVID-19 where we would talk oh. about self-help books. Right, right. And I think somebody mentioned it there. <laughs>
0: How, what was your life like before this book came into your life?
1: Very broadly is uh, I'm self-employed. I, Like I said, I'm the, I'm the owner of Other Being. I spent a lot of time, uh, not really by myself, but definitely independently. Half the week, my boyfriend is also there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other half of the week is with his other partner. And then their kids are also there today. So yeah, I, I think that with respect to this book is that For us, uh, being in a polyamorous relationship, even though we all entered it knowingly and willingly, Mm -hmm. has been a lot of, carried a lot of challenges Mm -hmm. uh, for all of us. And I've had a lot of moments of struggle with it. Um, Kind of dealing with those struggles is one of the things that this book has helped me with a lot. Okay. And you
0: said that you picked this up during. COVID times right right? so that must have been an extra layer of complexity that was thrown on top of balancing different partners and like kids also being involved in the picture
1: you know that's hard for me to to answer I'm not really sure about that so the thing is that uh, my partner and I we moved in together two weeks before the pandemic started oh my god (laughs) <laughs> so it's kind of hard for me to say this was because of the pandemic, because I think a lot of things were just because of him and me moving in together. Right,
0: right, right. right. I mean, it's also you move in and you don't realize like what moving in meant at the beginning of the oh, yeah. pandemic, right?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Because suddenly, like, you, like you had to work from home and I wasn't away all the time to see friends so all of a sudden you move in and you're literally together 24 7 and that right. definitely was a challenge yeah for right. sure
0: and my partner and I we have been living together for a while now but during this uh trip around Europe <laughs> it's also been like <laughs> literally we have not spoken to another friend for 20 days and oh, shit. <laughs> we didn't really think about that when we first started going on the trip we were just like where are we going where are we staying what are we eating but we didn't think about right. we are the only people <laughs> that we're really interacting with mm-hmm. other outside of like small talk with uh people on tours and stuff um but yeah so in this book so when you picked this book you'd mentioned that it changed a lot of things for you, but also there's some issues <laughs> with it. Can you explain a little bit further about why you said that?
1: Yeah, for sure. So existential kink, uh, is based on this idea that, um, a part of us, this kind of shadowy part of us, wants us to, doesn't want us to suffer per se, but wants us to feel pain. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to sexuality, uh, this is kind of widely accepted in the BDSM scene. Mm -hmm. But then when it comes to normal life, we kind of try to act like that's not the case. Mm -hmm. And and that all the things that happen to us, we don't actually want them to happen. And according to the writer, King, uh, that happens to us, is because we want it to happen, but she does say, like, especially the pattern things, like, if you're in a poor relationship in a certain way, like, five times in a row, maybe there's a part of you that wants to be in it. Right. So she's had a lot of backlash because of victim-blaming, which I kind of understand, but then for me, I would say the book has been mostly just very, very empowering. But yeah, I I guess that will kind of depend on... um, Um, how do you call it like your locus of control like where where right or you know like if 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 you feel like you're in charge of your own life then this book is a really great help and if you feel like life is happening to you uh then yeah i can definitely see how this book would feel like victim blaming
0: maybe it doesn't take into consideration some of the more nuanced systemic pressures that someone may have but as a person who feels like they do have control of their life i feel like i've lived a pretty privileged life overall. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like, yeah, it it is helpful, but I think with any self-help book, different books for different people, right? It's not one size fits all. Um, but with that out of the way, let's actually dive into your journey with the book and what jumped out at you, what made a difference in your life?
1: You know, so one of the things, when I was reading this, my partner and I were going, I want to call it a crisis, but I'm not sure if that's the right word because it's been in our relationship on and off for so long, pretty much since the beginning, is where um, he feels overwhelmed and then he starts questioning the relationship. Mm -hmm. And I found this book, some like maybe a year and a half ago, and by then I was kind of fed up with the whole thing. I was like, "Seriously, we've been together for almost five years. You better!" <laughs> we've been living together for a year and a half by now, you know. Right. Um, but also, I did feel like it was happening to me. I was like, "Huh? You know, why am I not good enough? What am I lacking? Or, or like, why is he doing this to me?" And then I read this book, and this book is like, "Okay, well." try to assume that a part of you does want this mm-hmm. and then try to examine that, what happens there. All right, then. Yeah, I sat down with the book and I was like, okay, so what am I getting out of the fact Right. That my boyfriend mm-hmm. is continuously questioning our relationship? And I discovered that actually I'm getting a lot out of it. Mm-hmm. First of all, I'm getting a perfect thing to obsess over so I can't pour all of my energy into other things, which is such a nice distraction. <laughs> <laughs> and then second of all, part of me is also, I always say that I'm anxiously avoid, uh, anxiously attached, but that's not really true. I think I'm anxious avoidance. Hmm. So because he's continuously questioning our relationship, I'm too busy kind of being worried about that, that I don't pull that hmm. Interesting.
0: So it's like a way of countering what you normally, so like instead of being um, anxiously avoidant, you would be anxiously attached to like kind of counteract your natural. Interesting.
1: I don't go into the avoidant thing. Yeah, exactly. Cause I was asking myself, okay, let's imagine that he would stop questioning our relationship. What, what would that feel like Hmm. to me? And I felt like that would be terrifying. I have no idea how to do that. I've never been in a relationship where like everybody is. just Let's go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For sure. And Yeah. I mean, with that, did you involve your partner when you started coming to this realization or was that something that you felt like you had to work on on your own?
1: So first I worked uh, on it on my own, like the, the very first stages. And then when I came to the realization, that was actually really funny because then I sat down with him and I told him, you know what, this is the realization I've come to. And like that, he was like, Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. And the reason I'm questioning our relationship is and, and then he started doing wow. the same thing. So that the whole thing just kind of resolved itself. Wow. And that was really weird. So I mean, in terms of a
0: timeline, how long were you working on it on your own?
1: Really not that long. Like maybe I've so I've read the book and as I was reading, I was doing these uh practices. I think like maybe a couple of days up wow. to a week, tops. And then we sat down and and that's the weird thing because we were able to resolve and it it sounds almost like magic and I I don't mean (laughs) it that way, but literally resolve the things in like maybe 10 days or so. Whoa, whoa. Which is like, I want that for all of the things. For sure, yeah. (laughs) I
0: mean, these patterns that we have, it sounded like you were, this was a pattern in previous relationships too. And you resolved it in under a week. And like, Everything was figured out. So, I I mean, now it's been like a year since you read the book and had this conversation.
1: Right. So, yeah. So that's actually the part about the resolving things. So for some parts, I actually realized that I don't want to resolve Mm. them, right? Like, yes, the part of kind of the ego part of me is like, no, I want to be in a relationship the way everybody thinks relationships should be right. So that part of me wants to resolve it. But there's this other part that's like, nope. I'm pretty sure I actually enjoy being in this relationship. That's kind of a bit of ups and downs. It makes it exciting. And, <laughs> it makes it ex- you know, like, uh, and, and it's very kind of almost controversial to say that. So I understand why I, and so many people are denying those needs of our For ourselves sure. Because like, this is not, so, it's not socially, accept. it's socially acceptable to say, you know, I want to spank. I want you to spank me, but it's not socially acceptable to say, I want you to hurt me emotionally. Right. <laughs> well, right. Not, not outside of, sexual context anyway right right right
0: right. Um, i think especially with our fairy tales right it's always and they lived happily ever after it's not like they would get into fights regularly because it kind of got the conversation going and like made sure that everyone was still on board
1: right exactly and also not just fairy tales but if you look at romantic movies like every romantic movie like the partners are always these perfect people and and you know they're super committed and great at communication and if there's any issues well there's always issues it's always about misunderstandings (laughs) and it's like that's great uh also i've i've i haven't met that in real life yeah for sure no Um,
0: no no one is no one is like that (laughs) um so i'm curious if you don't mind delving a little bit deeper about yeah what your relationship looks like now so after you had the conversation and said like hey maybe i get a little turned on when we have this type of conflict and i kind (laughs) of like that you're questioning our relationship once in a while so does he like keep that up now or did it resolve the other way that uh carolina talks about where you took the power away from said kink
1: (laughs) Mostly that, mostly that, like he had this, uh, doubt spell again, I think maybe like half a year ago, but honestly, I think both of us were just to bored with it by <laughs> then. So it away. <laughs> so it's, yeah, no, it, it, it kind of resolves itself. Yeah. And of, of course, you know, that doesn't make a relationship fully resolved, but, but one thing, and I think that's, it's really oh, funny, interesting. I don't know. So we got in a bit of a fight <laughs> yesterday tonight he was with his other partner and I was like laying in bed and I was really fuming. I was like, how can he do this? How can he say this? And then I was like, you know, I have been having this call about existential kink in the morning. Uh, <laughs> let me see if I could just look into myself and ask myself, what do you know, what do I like about this situation? And or like mm-hmm. do I like this situation? If that and I still don't know why I like this situation, but my anger, it melted away like within I don't know, 15 seconds maybe. Wow. And I was just lying there. I was like, where did it go? I was I was so furious a minute ago. What just happened? And like, for me, that was, oh yeah, right. I should do this practice more often because it, it is really, really. For very sure, difficult. yeah. I think... <laughs>
0: I, I also understand that frustration and that anger that you feel in your body and you like try to distract yourself right. and it's still there bubbling. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this is definitely a very powerful way of turning it on its head. Let's get into a little bit about the integration because you've led us so beautifully into it. Uh, were there any exercises that um, stuck out to you during your journey of um, trying to resolve this specific uh, conflict?
1: You know, so... In the book, she uh, talks about asking whether it kind of turns you on and whether you feel Mm -hmm. sexual about it. Um.
0: Editing Erica here again. So just a quick explanation on this exercise that we're referring to. Basically Carolyn takes you through an exercise um, to expand your turn on range. Most of us have a really narrow range of what we get turned on by, whether that be a sunny day or good food. We don't like rain. We don't like traffic, all these things that we don't like. So we're trying to expand and find pleasure even in things that we naturally don't like. Um, So she gets you into a relaxed state, and then she has you pick out something that you're uncomfortable with and really examine how that feels in your body. So for me, the example that came to mind was having people walking really slow in front of me. It makes me want to punch the back of their head. But what does that feel like in my body? So that to me feels like frustration. I start breathing a little bit heavier. I clench up. I am not relaxed. And all of these things, yes, it shows frustration, but it's not that far from being sexually frustrated, right? So the idea is to start feeling those things and being like, hey, it's not that far from being turned on. And maybe I can find a bit of pleasure in this. Maybe I like that restriction. I like that, um, Not being in control. So this is where the BDSM aspect comes in. A a couple of things that I really liked that she brought up was she uses phrases that you would normally use in the bedroom for dirty talk to get yourself in that mindset because it can be a little bit difficult to be like, yeah, I now enjoy walking in front or walking behind slow people. Um, so you'd say something like, oh, you like that, don't you? You like being restrained and not getting your way. And some other playful statements that she has is, I'll be willing to stop pretending I don't enjoy XYZ tremendously. Or I'm willing to allow myself to know about my weird secret pleasure in X, Y, Z, or it's okay for me to feel forbidden, wicked enjoyment of X, Y, Z without having judgment. Um, yeah, I, th- I thought that was a really interesting way to turn something that you really hate on its head. And it kind of works. I don't know. Try it. Let me know how it goes.
1: I ask myself, is there a me that creates it? And usually I do feel on a physical level, not, not a, yes, you know, I can come up with it thoughts-wise, but like on a physical level, I'm feeling like, yes, this is something. And I don't know, maybe for some people it's easier to to connect to it erotically. Mm. For me, not necessarily. I, there, there have been situations. But for instance, like in my relationship, I would say, Yes, it's often also, there. there is this erotic component, component to it. Uh, but for instance, something else that happened, and that was actually a month after I got the book, and the book has been a huge, huge help, is that my best friend uh, died unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like, for me, there was nothing erotic about, about going inwards and asking, okay, so on what level, well, not am I happy my friend died. I said, right. ob- obviously, I, I never wanted her to die. Um, but kind of, on what level am I getting something out of it? And very, like almost instantly, I got this feeling slash answer that for me connecting to kind of sadness, grief, is a very hard thing. It's not, uh, yeah, it's not, not something that, that happens naturally to me. And she, I think, was one of the two people in my life, uh, the other one being my partner, in a way it did feel really really beautiful and also kind of connected me more with my humanity if that mm -hmm. makes sense
0: yeah i think that's such a interesting so let me see if i understood that correctly so with the passing of your friend you kind of delved deeper into why you were resisting like feeling sad about their passing um no not
1: really no so no so this is this is a bit hard to explain but because i was just doing going mm. reading this book and this book is like, on an individual level the things that happen to you you know you kind of call them over yourself it's it, it does go a bit into kind of the magic and manifestation thing which has to be your thing or or you just have to roll with it and see what it brings you um so i just asked myself on what level did i want my friend mm. to die and which is and this is where it gets hard right because this is normally the part that we would really repress of ourselves because it's not very socially acceptable to say i want my friend to die right um and obviously on on a level of i wanted my friend to die i didn't want my friend to die right it's not like oh you know like (laughs) but what i did want is to be able to connect Ah. to the more kind that I really mm-hmm. part of myself. And with her passing, um, that allowed me to do that, um, which really kind of helped me uh, see also, well, not the beautiful uh, parts of her dying, but definitely the beautiful parts of um, what came afterwards. Right.
0: And I think definitely grieving, you grieve because you had a beautiful relationship and um, they meant something to you and it's it's loss
1: okay yeah yeah like like for instance so i have i had a lot of people in my surroundings that that uh, passed away but i've never for me it's never been easy to connect oh, to the grief and with her for the first time i was able oh, to do it um, and so instead of kind of feeling guilty over uh, i guess o- over getting something out of it Uh, With with this book, I, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of, I think I
0: understand it though. It's like, even if it's 99% horrible, if you feel like you're benefiting in 1%, you start beating yourself up about that. You're like, Hey, wow, this is the first time where I've lost someone and I am actually feeling it to this level. But then you're starting to be like, how can you have a positive thought? How can you be remotely happy when such a terrible thing has happened to you? Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I I agree. The idea of taking like guilty pleasures and just allowing it to be a pleasure allows you to experience it so much more fully and remove that shame that we associate with so many different emotions. Like the one that pops into my head the quickest is um, parenting. So I went on a big journey of mm-hmm. like figuring out if I wanted to be a parent. And as a good researcher, I not only looked at <laughs> um, <laughs> stories about parents who love being parents, like I also wanted to see the people who regret being parents. It's really mm-hmm. difficult to find those stories. Um, but it's one of those things where it's okay to admit that it's not all sunshine and rainbows. And it's okay to take pleasure in your individuality and there is a huge change when it comes to being a parent and it's okay to long for these things doesn't mean that you hate your children
1: well that's one part and then there's also the people who say okay not necessarily maybe hate their children but they mm. hate parenting and i I know such people but also I know that if online there's a story where people are like you know I'm not really thrilled with my child they get mm. shamed so much like you're a not not only you're a terrible parent, but mostly you're a terrible right. person. And I feel like that's just that's just putting so much pressure yeah, on things.
0: I mean, whenever you spend time with a person for an extended period of time, you're there are moments where you're like, don't really like this person, even if they're like the most amazing human being. It's like stop being so amazing; right. it's really annoying.
1: Right, and sometimes we even kind of want to sabotage. A relationship with someone, especially if they're being amazing and we don't really know how to deal with amazing, which I think is true for a lot of people who are, who come from kind of more uh, complicated mm-hmm. backgrounds. Let's put it for like. Sure. It.
0: So after the book, you were able to resolve um, the issue that you initially picked up the book for. Have you integrated mm-hmm. any of the practices that she uh, goes through day to day? I know that you mentioned like the turn on turn off one that you, you you just used yesterday.
1: <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing. So if I'm honest, I read this book over a year ago, and I wouldn't even be able to mm. recall the specific purposes. But the one thing that really stuck with me is just sitting there and asking myself, okay, this thing that I'm saying I don't like <clears throat> is happening to me, what part <clears throat> of me is actually happy that this thing is happening to me? And I think that exercise in itself is doing so much for me. And also, I have to say, uh, sometimes it resolves things the way it did with my partner, but sometimes it resolves things because I realize, okay, well, maybe I don't want the things that I want, you know, like where I'm like, you know, why is my business not taking off as 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 big as I would want it to be. And then I'm like, hey, okay, let's imagine what, what's holding me back. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm absolutely terrified of being a successful business owner. I don't want that. That's scary. I've never been there. That's so much outside of my comfort zone. Right, for sure. And
0: I think that I, I love when a book can leave you with one simple question that it's easy to repeat. Because if you're like, I have to do this 30 minute meditation every day, no one has time for that. <laughs>
1: yeah exactly or if it's a book where it's like 20 different exercises and I'm like I want to do them all but also no (laughs) also also when how I I
0: mean I'm sure we could practically do it but there is something in my brain that's like that's a huge turnoff I don't want to commit that much time I've already read the entire book this is a lot so let's roll into the recommendation so the last question is always who would you recommend this book to and who would you not
1: recommend this book to? Let's start with
0: the first half.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, well, I I think they're both Mm. kind of entwined. So there's a number of things that you should know about this book before getting it. First of all, my, my boyfriend jokingly calls it the worst best (laughs) book because the editing is absolutely (laughs) terrible. Like there's a chapter that literally repeats itself almost entirely later on in the book. So poor editing. If if you're unable to look past, if this kind of thing would deter you from keeping on reading and actually trying her methods, don't even bother. I would say that her book is, although it's funny because I think it's geared at a very specific type. People who are interested in shadow mm. work, uh, so maybe Jungian psychology who are interested in the work by Byron Katie, um, if you're familiar with that. Uh, and maybe you know buddhism and it's it just so happens that i'm interested in all of those things <laughs> worked so, out perfectly you know, yeah like i feel like if it comes to target audiences <laughs> i'm the target audience for this book. um but i feel like if you feel well i, I mentioned the victim, bla- the victim blaming part so if you feel like life is ha- happening to you and you're not in control not the book for you um if you Everything that sounds a bit like woo-woo, you know, kind of magic and manifestation, if you can't guess, get past that, not mm-hmm. for you. And I'm not saying you have to be into paganism to appreciate this book, because I feel like the method she's proposing could be used by anyone who feels like they're either they're in control or they're ready to be right. in control. But I yeah I can I can see how book wise it would deter a lot of people. For sure, I mean
0: it definitely you have to have a certain level of open mindedness going into this. For me, I would recommend people read this if you've read a lot of self help books and you're kind of sick of mm-hmm. the same. Like you can do it, um, <laughs> motivational. Exactly, <stuff. laughs> it's like all the positive. And the, that's, I think it's helpful for some people, but if you're finding that you're hitting a plateau, this is like the flip side of trying to examine the shadow self, as you mentioned. Um, right. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend this to my mom and dad. Like, I I don't, I don't think I feel comfortable <laughs> if they were like slightly into BDSM, but that's other stuff that I need to work through clearly. <laughs> um.
1: Not because of that, then, not because I mean, of other reasons. I you mean, wouldn't I, I cringe
0: at the idea of my parents doing it because, at least in my mind, I don't, I don't know <laughs> if there's other things, but like they seem like such straight-laced people and like very conservative. I can't, like we ne- we never even had the birds and the bees talk. That they just left it to the school, oh, right? right. Um, so I can't <laughs> imagine that this would be. Comfortable for, for them and you have to be very vulnerable when you're working through this. Yeah for Sure. But
1: yeah,
0: it was so lovely to have you on Mariana. If people are looking for you, where can they find you? And can you tell us a, like, where people can support your Kickstarter?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Uh, so the website of Other Being is otherbeing.com. And I should add that it's other, like O double D E R, so not other. <laughs> uh, but that's definitely the pun there. Um, it's also on Instagram, Other Being. Uh, also, you can find me on my personal Instagram on dot, the dot, other dot side. Again, other with O-double-D. <laughs> um, and on the Instagram, there's also a link to uh, the Kickstarter. And also on Medium. Probably also on the other side. Mm-hmm. Perfect.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening to the episode. If you enjoyed, stop what you're doing right now and give me a rating on your app. It really helps other people find me. If you have thoughts or tips you'd like to share, please do at Pod on Instagram, Twitter, or Gmail.